0: Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Hello, everyone. Today I want to talk to you from Psalm 52, the God of Judgment and the God of Grace. The God of Judgment and the God of Grace. The superscription of this says, To the choir master a mascal of David, when Doeg, the Edomite, came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Abimelech. So this connects back to a story that is found in 1 Samuel chapters 21 through 22. David was in danger and he was on the run from Saul. And Saul, in his mad jealousy, was seeking to attack and kill David. David was struggling with uncertainty and facing great struggles and difficulties in his life. I want you to think about this. How do you live in the face of the struggles and the difficulties that you have to deal with? How do you handle it when people are turning against you? Well, David was really struggling Um, with what was happening in his life right now. And in the story in 1 Samuel, what we'll find is that David's on the run from Saul, and he's come to the city of Nob. Now, David has gone to the high priest of that city, whose name was Abimelech. Apparently, the tabernacle was in the city at the time, and David needed food, and he needed a weapon. And he told the high priest that he was on the king's business, and the high priest really had no reason to doubt David's story, so he gave him some of the chosen bread, and he gave him the only weapon in the town. The weapon happened to be the one David had taken off Goliath after he had killed him. After this, David fled to the caves of Adullam. Now, Doeg which we saw in the superscription, the Edomite, he was Saul's chief herdsman. He was in the town of Nob when David came there. He overheard the high priest had given David provisions and a weapon. Now, later upon returning to Saul's court, Doeg heard Saul's rant over the fact that no one could supply him the information he needed to find David. And apparently Doeg saw his opportunity and he told King Saul that he knew David had been in the city of Nob. He told him that the high priest of that city had given him provisions and a weapon. So Saul summoned the high priest and all the other priests as well. And Abimelech came there and told Saul what had happened he pleaded that he thought David was on the king's business. He knew nothing of the backstory of what was going on and um, between David and Saul. Now, the backstory is that David was a faithful um, servant to Saul. He was there and played for him instruments. He served him. He was in the army. But he was going to be anointed king over Israel, or he had already been anointed king over Israel, and Saul was going to lose his throne. And Saul was extremely upset, jealous, angry. So as he's hearing this story from Abimelech, Saul was filled with this ungodly spirit and rageful anger, and he claimed that their actions were treasonous. He said they deserved to die. And he turned to his his soldiers and he said to his guards, he told them to kill the priest. But the guards and the soldiers, believing that this was sacrilege, they refused. They refused to lay their hands on the Lord's anointed, the holy people of God. And Doeg was asked by Saul to kill the priest. And he obliged Saul's request. He struck down the high priest and the priests that were there, approximately 85 of them. Then he went to the city of Nob and he killed all the men, all the women, all the children, all the animals of that city. Only one son escaped. His name was Abiathar. Now, Abiathar fled to David's camp. And upon hearing this, David was so grief-stricken over the fact that he had occasioned the death of all of Abiathar's family. I want you to think about this. How do you deal with death and destruction? How do you handle it when you hear of a great destruction that has been caused by evil people, powerful and evil people? How do you handle it? Where do you place your trust when such evil people go against God's people? It's really important because we are living in a godless world. We are living in an evil world today. Where do you turn? See, David's response in Psalm 52 has to be our response. He cries out to God. He looks to God for his justice, and he trusts in the grace and goodness of God. See, that's exactly what we need. We need to know that God is judge, and we need to know that God is gracious, so how do you deal with it when times happen in your life that the righteous sufferer and the wicked are flourishing? So many of the Psalms are set up that way, where it seems as though the righteous are really suffering and the wicked seem to be flourishing and fruitful. I want you to hear this key principle that we're going to see in this Psalm. Evil may seem to flourish in this moment, but we must build our trust and faith in God, Who is the God of judgment and the God of grace? The God of judgment and the God of grace. So it's a pretty simple outline here in Psalm 52. Psalm 52 breaks down into three sections. Verses 1 through 4 is the accusation and charges are read. The psalmist describes the wickedness of Doeg. Now, behind Doeg, of course, is King Saul. So, even as we're reading this, we're thinking of Doeg, but we're also thinking of King Saul because King Saul is the one who is on this murderous rampage of David. Okay, so first we see the accusation and the charges, verses 1 through 4. And now we see the announcement of judgment in verses 5 through 7. The psalmist speaks to the ultimate end to this wicked man. Doeg is going to find his ultimate end, and so is King Saul, as we read further in in 1 Samuel. So there's accusation and charges in verses 1 through 4, announcement of judgment in verses 5 through 7, and then finally, the assurance of the blessed life in verses 8 through 9. The psalmist offers counsel on how to respond to the evil of this world. Okay, so that's how we're going to break down the psalm. So let's, let's get right into it. Psalm 52, verses 1 through 4. It says this, verses 1 through 4. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of the Lord endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right, Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Okay, so David begins by critiquing the character of Doeg. Well, he breaks it down this way. He says, you had a degenerate heart. A degenerate heart. What does he mean by that? Look in verse one. It says, why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. First, he begins by analyzing Doeg's degenerate heart. In verse one he says that Doeg boast of evil that means he was smug, proud, inwardly despising others. He was self-confident and placed his trust in his self-satisfied glory in in psalm forty nine we've read that just recently psalm forty nine verses six through seven it says those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches, truly, no man." can ransom him another or give to God the price of his life. Or how about this verse in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. It says, thus declares the Lord, the dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. See, in verses 3 and 4 back into Psalm 52, it said that Doeg amazingly loved evil. He loved lying. He loved devouring other people. Can you see this degenerate heart that's at work here? The Bible speaks of a, a sense of a disordered love, a disordered love, or an and inordinate love, and it talks about divided loyalties and love. It speaks often about the fact that one cannot truly love God if they also love something else equally. You remember Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. Amazingly, this man loved accusing people, attacking people, and accruing possessions and power. So I've got something for you to consider today. Do you have a tendency to despise others in your heart? in your mind are there things that you believe that you need in order to be happy more than in god see doeg had such a degenerate heart that he was loving the things of this world and he was missing the ultimate love found in god now he goes on and says this he says why do you boast of evil O oh, mighty man. <laughs> Interesting phrase. Uh, David calls Doeg a mighty man. Uh, this was later applied, if you remember, to David's warriors who were called David's mighty men. Here, I think David seems to be mocking Doeg. He, in an essence, is calling him like a big shot. You mini might, You know, you big fellow. He shamed Doeg by saying, that you're really not a mighty man if you go around killing innocent and defenseless people. When you're pulling men, women, and children out of their out of their tents and they're defenseless, this is not a mighty man. These are innocents. See, this proud-hearted man had caused such great destruction. Well, Tim Keller says something similar. He says, arrogance always leads to cruelty. Isn't that a really true statement? So, I want you to think about this. What is the cruelty and brutality of evil people compared with the sovereign and majestic strength of God? It's nothing. They're here for a moment, but they will not last forever. That's why David very quickly went right from this evil man and this mini to the love of God endures all the day. So now we've seen that Doeg has a degenerate heart. Now we see that he has a depraved mind. Okay, so now look in verse two. It says, your tongue plots destruction. Now I know it's talking about your tongue, but see that word plots there. David is speaking of Doeg's depraved mind. Our hearts are the center of all that we are, and it is the essence of the real person. It is in the human heart that we think, that we believe, that we feel, and we will. Out of the heart, the mind conceives. Verse 2 is telling us that he is plotting destruction. It is almost as though he's sitting in his home thinking of ways, contriving ways to gain riches and to bring about David's destruction. And his mind is just off. Track. And really, when we have a degenerate heart, it will produce a depraved mind. But there's a third thing I want you to see. David speaks mostly of Doeg's deceitful and destructive mouth. Verses 3 and following. Well, he said in verse 2 first, he says, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. And then he says, You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. Verse 4, you love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Do you see it? The two things, deceitfulness and destruction. Alec Motier talks about this. He says, deceit means the intent to mislead and cause mischief. This evil man, Doeg, told the truth up to a point where it would do harm. In essence, he was a con man. We saw in verse 3 that he loved lying more than speaking what is right. It also said he loved devouring others with his words. He devoured people, destroyed people, attacked people with his words. He was a murderer, killing them with his mouth. He used his tongue as a weapon. So I want you to think about this. How oftentimes is it that you find yourself saying things that are so hurtful to other people? See, As you see this man who is uh, depraved and he is degenerate and he's deceitful and destructive, you may be thinking and may be tempted to believe that he is so unlike us. No, let's be honest. This is us. That would be a great mistake to think he's not like us. Humanity outside of God has a degenerate heart, has a depraved mind, and has deceitful and destructive mouth. Jeremiah chapter 17 tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. Richard Phillips in his commentary reminds us that there is no moral neutrality when it comes to our hearts. It is important to recognize that even as believers in Christ, with the Holy Spirit living in us and residing in us, we still need to constantly renew our hearts because they're so easily tempted for evil. But outside of Christ, we're not only like the man, this man at a heart level, but we are also capable of doing the things he did in his mind. And our minds can often be depraved. And Paul talked about that in Romans chapter one. He said that we have a darkened mind because we have hardened hearts. So outside of Christ, this is us. We need the Word of God daily to soften our minds and soften our hearts and enlighten our minds. The Old Testament tells us that our thoughts are not God's thoughts and our ways are not His ways. We need the Word of God to show us who God is and who we are and what God requires of us. So, we are like this man in the fact outside of Christ We have a degenerate heart. We are like this man outside of Christ because we have a depraved mind, but we are also like this man because we have deceitful and destructive tongues. We need to be aware that our tongues are potential weapons to harm others. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 3. He said, our throats are an open grave and the venom of snakes is under our lips. And then he goes on to say this, our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. We use our mouths to deceive and lie to one another. Our tongues can easily destroy one another. Please know that there is such a danger to lies and such destruction that will come as a result. Words matter. Words are powerful and they have consequences. Our words can be used for great blessing and great evil. How many of us sitting here today can still remember the hurtful words that have been said to us by others in our past? It may have been decades ago, but those thoughts and those words still roll around in our minds. We cannot treat words lightly. Whether the words are lies, deceit, gossip, or slander, they are destructive and they tear down people. In some way, they produce death within us. But I want you to think about this. In a godly way, words can be used in a blessing. They can bless people. Think of the many times that you've been encouraged or strengthened by the words of another person. Encouraging words build us up. Now, James warms us in James chapter three of his epistle. He says that words can be like a flame and it's a world of evil. And Jesus told us this, that out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. He also told us that by our words, we will be judged And by our words, we will also be condemned. Please be mindful of the way you speak. It reveals what's going on in your mind and it uncovers what is going on in your heart. Now we were talking about those disordered loves before. This came out of St. Augustine. And St. Augustine said that we struggle with disordered loves and divided loves. And he said that we place our inordinate focus on the things of this world rather than on the person of Christ. And he said that these disordered loves will leave us hungry and lonely and enslaved. It will never satisfy us. It will leave us lonely because it will break apart relationships. And eventually we think we control it and we think it's going to give us freedom, but it actually enslaves us. How many people today are struggling with a focus on earthly, temporal, superficial, or material things rather than the heavenly, the eternal, the deep, the lasting, the spiritual things in their lives? I want you to reflect on this. What is competed for your love? What is it that you think you desperately need in order to be happy and fulfilled? What is it that you look to for your security, satisfaction, or a sense of significance? What is it? If it's not the person and work of Christ, you are going to be disordered in your love and you will leave hungry, lonely, and enslaved. So let's summarize Doeg's character in this in this accusation that has been leveled. The charges that have been leveled. Doeg's character is degenerate in heart, depraved in mind, deceitful and destructive in his mouth. And it's interesting that at the at the end of verse three, David inserts this word selah. Now we're not completely sure of what it is, but we believe that it is a a, a pausing a pondering, a considering, that the writer is asking you at this moment of time to think deeply about this issue, to meditate on it, to deliberately contemplate it. And if that's true, he's probably reminding us that we are living in this world and that God is absolutely good, but there are so many people out there that are going to hurt us. We need to know that that this is not an easy world to live in. We are not going to find that ease, that we're going to have to deal this side of heaven with, with broken people in a broken world, and we will be hurt. And perhaps when you're going through those times, you, you probably ask yourself, where is God here? David is on the run, and Saul is after him, and, and, and now Saul has allowed Doeg to kill all of these people in Nob. God, where are you? But the psalmist right now counts on two certainties that we must count on as well. God's grace and God's judgment. See, David is contemplating the evil that Doeg had done with his heart and his mind and his words. And he's considering Doeg's cruelty and his violence towards innocent and defenseless people. I want you to ask yourself this. How are you tempted during difficult times, to wonder where God is. Do you find yourself believing that God has forgotten you? Do you believe that God has forsaken you? The psalmist said that in Psalm 13. So, as not to be overwhelmed with a fear of discouragement, David turned his focus quickly and forcefully onto the person of God. He consoled himself and found comfort in his mighty God. And David focuses on two aspects of God's character that are essential for us as well. He focuses on God's grace and his judgment. First, he sees that God's grace is never ending. See that in verse 1. In verse 1, he focuses on the fact that God's grace is never going to end. He speaks of the steadfast love of the Lord endures all the day. It's interesting that in the contrast of the evil that Doeg, That lasted for a moment, the love of God lasts and endures for all time. Alec Motier in his commentary also says this, The steadfast love of God is the committed love of the transcendent God. See, it is God's committed, unchanging love set against man's self-satisfying boasting. See, David is now focusing on the loving, caring, always faithful, never forgetting, never forsaking God. He focuses on God who is a promise keeper, God who has given him his word, and he's given it to us as well, and his word will not fail, and he will not fail to fulfill it. I want you to think deeply about that. The steadfast love of the Lord is is found throughout the Old Testament, especially in the, in the Psalms. And, and the steadfast love of the Lord is an amazing and wonderful gift that God has done for humanity. And what he is saying is this, it is God's covenant to us, his covenant loyalty and love and he's redeeming those that were once his enemies and bringing them into a relationship with him. He preserves life from the dead. He quickens the spiritual life. He redeems people from sin. He keeps his covenants with them. It's his kindness, his abundance, his his everlasting mercy. It's his power upon his people. One commentator put it this way, It's God's no-strings-attached covenant loyalty. I really like that. No-strings-attached. There's nothing that we have to do. God's faithfulness and love is because of who he is, not primarily because of what we are or what we do. So the first place that David finds his comfort and consolation is in the fact that God's grace never ends. And the second place he finds is that God's judgment is sure. He turns to this aspect of god's judgment because he says that this evil will not continue and david rests in that and that's where we move to the second portion of the psalm it's the announcement of god's judgment the psalmist speaks to the ultimate end to this wicked man psalm 52 verses 5 through 7 god will destroy doeg and saul forever Psalm 52, verse five, it says, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. It's interesting that this evil man thought he was mighty, but he's not as mighty in the face of the absolutely sovereign, all-powerful God. We see this as we begin verse five. But before we get there, I would like to discuss with you something very hopeful in the scriptures. As with many times in the scriptures, the writer speaks of a very dark backdrop to the story. And then all of a sudden, there's a radical turn. The same thing is true here in Psalm 52. Verse 5 says the first two words, but God. Are there two more beautiful words in scripture against the black backdrop of sin Satan, death, comes the beauty of righteousness, God's grace in Christ and life. David looked to his Savior and his Redeemer. Now, he may not have known the name of the Savior, but he looked ahead to that Savior and Redeemer. We look back at that Savior and Redeemer. He knew that God is mighty to save. He knew that God is faithful to his word. He knew that God was the one who he could place his refuge and his strength and that God was his very present help in troubles. So I want you to ponder this. Do you know that God? Do you trust in God as your refuge and strength? Does the absolute sovereignty and infinite wisdom and perfect love of God draw you into a deeper, more trusting relationship with him? Does it buoy you in the midst of violent storms that come into your life? It must do that. See, God is being exalted by David. He's praising God because God has turned the tables on his enemies. David reports that if you accuse people, attack people, and try to accrue possessions and power for your own gain, you will eventually lose. David speaks of Doeg's sure downfall and coming judgment. Listen to these very vivid words, very vivid language when David speaks of God's judgment upon this evil man. He says that God will break you down, snatch and tear you, and uproot you. Wow. When he says that he will break you down, it means that he will strike him down. Motir also says this, that David is in some ways prophesying that God will demolish you perpetually. He will scoop you up drag you away without a tent these words picture a building being demolished it's bits and pieces raked together and the whole carted away when it says that god will snatch and tear you from your tent it is possibly looking at the fact that Doag snatched and tore these defenseless people from their homes and now god is doing the same to him Perhaps the ten is speaking of the tabernacle, where they used to worship. What this evil man did to the people of Nob, God will do to him as well. It may also be speaking of material possessions, his house. Maybe he got some riches from Saul and he built a beautiful house, a tent, that he accumulated all of these wealth because of his treachery, and it's being removed from him. All of those things that he placed his trust in, God will destroy. It's interesting that he ends this section by talking about the uprooted tree. The uprooted tree doubles the imagery, expressing the certainty and the surety of the judgment that is to come. Michael Wilcox, a commentator, said this, that this is total judgment, final judgment. I want you to listen to the words of this judgment as it says that it will happen forever and that he will be uprooted from the land of the living. Robert Godfrey in his sermon says that God will tear down, tear out, and tear up this wicked man. Nothing will be left. Now it's interesting that David found his comfort and his consolation in the fact that God is gracious, and his graciousness will live forever, and that God is a God of justice, judgment. Does the coming judgment upon the unrighteous comfort you? See, David found comfort and consolation in God's grace and his judgment. Does it comfort you? God is sure to judge their enemies. And then he has another Selah. David has another Selah here. Selah. Think deeply again about what is being considered. It's so important to be considering this. So Doeg is going to be destroyed by God. But but then in verses six through seven, Doeg's destruction will fill the righteous with fear and joy, which is very interesting. It says in verse six, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Verse six says that he see it. They will see it and they will fear and they will laugh. The psalmist now says that the righteous will find their rest and their security in the fact that this evil man will be dealt with. I want you to think about this. Do you believe that God will avenge his people? How does that scriptural truth affect you? David wants to comfort himself in knowing that he will first see God avenging his people that this evil man had viciously destroyed. Second, as they see God's judgment fall on this wicked man, people will grow in a greater level of fear of God. Now, there's a fear of God that is of dread and terror, but there's also a fear of God for believers that is repenting in awe and is reverential and worshipful david in all likelihood is talking about this type of fear so he sees the judgment coming upon this evil man he grows in fear of god uh, a repentance in awe and reverential and worshipful and then third the people of god will laugh at this wicked man i want you to ponder this is laughter at the prop at the destruction of the wicked, a proper reaction for the people of God? Are you somewhat put off by this? See, there's a series of Psalms, and we call them imprecatory Psalms, and imprecatory Psalms are Psalms where the psalmist is calling out to God for his judgment. See, God has been so gracious. I want you to consider this deeply. God has been so gracious to wayward humanity to give them a message from him in creation. That every time you walk out into creation, I was just on a a beautiful walk today out in the creation, it, it, it displays that there's a greater one than us, a creator. This didn't just happen by chance. And God every day gives you a message and gives people a message in creation, but he also gives them a message in their conscience that God has stamped his very law into the conscience of all humanity both to point to the fact that there's someone greater than themselves and then also to expose their great need to get right with him. He has shown a creator love for all of humanity. He has poured common grace upon all of humanity, and he's done this even to the most wicked people. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, it, we find that God is imploring the wicked and the wayward people to turn to him. The invitation to seek the Lord is given. Isaiah uh, chapter 55, verses 6 through 7, and then in verse 13, we see that God says that to seek the Lord while he may be found. Godfrey, in his sermon, said that men of Saul's army modeled a right way of responding to Saul's evil request to this murderous threat against the priest of Nob. They refused. And by doing so, they displayed wisdom. Doeg refused that wisdom. So we return again to the question, is it proper for God's people to laugh at the destruction of evil people? Again, we come back to Alec Motier's commentary, and he said this, they got the last laugh. This is not a laugh of vindictiveness or malice, but of satisfaction at seeing the just judgment of God and the vindication of the right. This is not a smug entertainment, but a laughter of relief. Think about this. It is so important for us to be able to rest and find our refuge in God alone. In verse 7, we see that this wicked man would not make God his refuge. He did not place his full trust in God, but rather placed his trust in material possessions. He was motivated by the worldly things. He trusted in the abundance of his riches. He sought refuge in these things, and it led to his destruction. Interesting enough, Doeg pursued what he thought would give him success and a good life, but it actually led to his downfall. How many times have we seen that happen and lived out in scripture? How many times have we seen people dig their pit for their enemy only to fall into it themselves? Doeg's life sounds like Haman in the book of Esther. He built the gallows to hang Mordecai on, but he was hung on those gallows. Once again, God's judgment is sure God will protect his people. So what have we seen? We have seen the accusation and charges against Doeg. We have seen that God has poured out his judgment upon this man. And now we have come to this, the assurance of God's blessed life or the blessed life for those that are in God. The psalmist offers counsel on how to respond to the evils of this world. Verses 8 through 9. Now, the psalmist describes his life as flourishing and fruitful because of his faith in the steadfast love of God. He he says this in verse 8. He says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. That's interesting. See, I want you to see this link between verse 1 that speaks of God's loyal and committed love. Once again, David is concentrating on the unloving, evil, cruel acts of Doag versus the kind, merciful, graceful, and faithfulness of his God. The psalmist is describing his life as flourishing and fruitful because of his faith in the steadfast love of the Lord. In verse 8, he contrasts his life with a wicked man. David says that he has been planted by God like a green olive tree. Olive trees were often used in scripture as symbols. You remember in Genesis chapter 8, verse 11, he speaks of the fact that peace has returned. You remember when Noah um, received the olive branch back. And the peace return to this world. And, and a second illustration is found in Jeremiah 11, verse 15 through 16, and Hosea, chapter 14, verse 6, that beauty and freshness of life has come. Or in Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 3, and then again in verses 11 and 12, it talks about being nourished by God in our lives. So olive trees were a symbol of great blessing in the Old Testament. I want you to know this, that olive trees are one of the longest living trees. Some of them can live centuries and still be fruitful. God uprooted the evil man, but plants the righteous man in good soil. And where does God plant this righteous man? In his house, in the very presence of God. Compared to this mini mite who loses his tent, David is planted. In God's house that will remain forever. David sees himself as flourishing and growing and bearing fruit. This is reminiscent to Psalm 1, which says that the man of God is blessed and stable and rooted and healthy. It's similar to Jeremiah chapter 17. We were just there a little bit ago. The flourishing tree is planted by the streams of water and it yields fruit in its season. It's similar to Psalm 92 verses 12 through 14 that speaks of a flourishing and fruitful tree. And it's reminiscent of what Jesus said in John chapter 15 that we will bear fruit because we are connected to him. The Psalm ends with David's focus on four ways to respond in the midst of trying times. David has been seeing all of what was happening in Doeg, and he saw first the accusation and the charges, and he he describes Doeg's wickedness, and then the announcement of judgment that the psalmist is going to see the ultimate end to this wicked man, and now he he speaks with assurance of the blessed life that the psalmist is going to offer us, offer us some counsel on how to respond to the evil of this world it's really helpful counsel so see these four points first he says this response number one is that we must trust god trust god trust in him in the face of wickedness and horrible suffering when it seems god is absent when it seems that god is silent we need to trust in god's loyal love for us As we mentioned previously, David focused on the steadfast love of the Lord. It was God's covenantal love for his people. It's God's loyal love, his care, his compassion, his faithfulness, his promise-keeping relationship with his people. God's loyal love is the emphasis of David's statement forever and ever here. He recognizes that God's love, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. God will never forget his people. He will never forsake them. And that lasts forever. The psalmist then makes a turn and he declares his determination to praise God for what he has done. And he promises to wait for him. See that in verse nine, because we get the second response. The second response is be thankful to God. So if the first response is to trust in God, the second response is to be thankful to God. He says this, we need to express our thankfulness through prayer and praise. Once again, there's a contrast. Many mites, self-glorying, versus the thankfulness and gratitude of David. David says that he will thank God forever wow, we need to be appreciative people. We must choose to be grateful and thankful. It's an attitude of our hearts and it's a direction of our minds. So many times I speak with people on the topic of surplus versus deficit mindset. See, in our culture, so many people live their lives at a deficit. They see their lives as needy, wanting, lacking, deficient, insufficient, and they believe that they need something from others or from this world in order to fulfill them and to make them happy. They're missing the surplus that they have from God. Do you remember in Psalm 23 where it says, my cup runs over? Is that a word of deficiency or is that a word of surplus? Jesus said, I've come to give life to his people and a life that is a Abundant, abundant love, life, John chapter 10. Paul says that God's grace is sufficient for you. Peter, as he wrote in 2 Peter, he said this, that God's divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You are lacking nothing. You need nothing more than what God has provided for you to live a godly life. See, finally, Paul said in the book of Philippians, And God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I need you to stop living like a pauper. You're a child of the king. No, hear me clearly. God may not supply us great material riches on this earth, but he will be overwhelming us with spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 1 just to get a load of some of those. David is grateful and thankful for what God has done. Remind yourself of God's work. David is so certain that God will do this in this evil man's life, even before it has happened, that he says that God has already done it. Did you notice? He said, I will see it. He hasn't seen it yet, but he believes that it is so certain that he knows that God will do it. Now that's faith. That's trust. But that's also a grateful spirit. So first, David says that we must trust in God. Second, he says we must be thankful to God. Third response is this, wait on God. He says, wait on God. And waiting is so very difficult. We live in an immediate, gotta have it now society. We want it now. But much of the spiritual maturity of life is learned by patiently waiting for God. It's connected to our hope in God. Our hope is not a hope-so mindset, but it is a confident expectation that God is at work. Even in the trial, we are called to wait patiently on the Lord. God's timing is always right. It may not be our timing. God's ways are always right. It may not be our ways. I need you to think about this deeply. Do you trust God? What hinders your faith and trust and confidence in God. What can you do today to build a foundation of faith in your life? So he began by saying, response number one is to trust in God. Response number two is to wait, I'm sorry, be thankful to God. Response number three is to wait on God. Now response number four is to be rooted in a community of faith. So important. In verse nine, he says this, I will wait For your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. See, we need to be among God's people. We should not be alone. We should not be isolated. We need to do life together. It's in the community of faith where we we will be encouraged and built up. We will be reminded, even in difficult times, that God wins. We will be reminded that God will bring us through this trial, that God will not abandon us. Thank God for his grand purpose in all the things of your life to save you and to sanctify you. He wants to make you the people of God that represents him well in this world. So let's bring this to a little bit of a conclusion. Whatever became of Doeg? We don't know what happened to Doeg. Scripture doesn't report it. We do not know if he lived a long life or not. We do not know if he held um, onto his great riches or not. We don't know if he um, grew to even be more violent or not. We don't know this. But we do know this, that God's judgment came upon him on one day. And the reason why God's judgment came upon him was that he placed his refuge in the wrong places and in the wrong things. So I want you to ponder this. Where are You placing your refuge. To what do you look to or to whom do you look to to find your security? So this evil man is a picture of the world that we live in. Our world is idolatrous, adulterous, foolish. It's blind to eternity. They have no sense of God's judgment. They rest secure in temporal things. And one day they will realize that they've placed their trust in the wrong things. Where have you placed your trust? Where have you placed your faith? See, David knew that the only one that could save him is the great God who had covenanted with him. David's covenantal God decided to send his son, into this world, to live a life that we could never live, and to die a death in our place so that we could be eternally secure with God. See, it is in Christ that we have justification. It is in Christ we have adoption. It is in Christ we have righteousness. It is in Christ we have an eternal inheritance. It is in Christ we have a heavenly family. It is in Christ we have hope. It is in Christ we have peace. And it is in Christ we have ultimate joy. I want if you have that today? Do you have that kind of faith today? You have that kind of trust in Christ alone as your Savior today? Have you been looking at the things of this world and looking for them to provide you comfort? So what we've heard is a story of an evil man that is so very true in our world today. Many people today push their self-interest even at the point of attacking cruelly and violently others. It's a universal mindset. Okay, so now we come to the final thing that I want you to remind yourself of as we look at this psalm. Psalm 52 reminds us of these principles. First, that God is greater and his love is forever. God is good. No matter what's happening, I need you to hear that. I need you to also know that people are going to hurt you and harm you. But you need to keep reminding yourself that the judge is coming. The final showdown is sure. The total destruction of the Doeg spirit is certain. Remind yourself that it will not last forever. It may come sooner or later, but the end is sure. And then I need you to also hear this, that the way forward is to grow in trust and faith in God. Interesting contrast, Doeg self-confidence in verse 1, versus God's good name, in verse 9. Doeg is the uprooted tree in verse 5, but David is the flourishing tree in verse 8. Doeg is seen as trusting in his own abilities and resources in verse 7, but David is seen as trusting in God's steadfast love in verse 8. Doeg is seen as being separated from his tent verses five through seven, but David is seen as being put together, gathered together, life together, delightful fellowship and worship in verse nine. Where do you stand today? So would you pray with me? So Lord, today I pray that you would remind us that though that evil may be flourishing in this moment, remind us to build our trust and faith in a God of judgment and a God of grace Father, remind us that we could be on the side of judgment if it weren't for the work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that we would look to your son, marvel at what he has done for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes and drawing us to faith. Thank you for giving us the word. Thank you for inspiring David to write this psalm. And thank you for what it is that you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.